0: Amen. Hallelujah. So this is Easter. We say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, right? Today we're going to talk about the meaning of the cross and the resurrection. But these are big subjects. And so, what generally happens is the pastor will have a sermon on Friday, Good Friday, about the cross. And then they will have uh, some kind of sermon on the resurrection on Sunday. Friday's here, but Sunday's a coming. Very famous uh, sermon title for a lot of pastors. And, And these are such big subjects, but they only have 20 to 30 minutes to hit the highlights and to drive home the salvation point of the meaning of those two events. We have a bigger task today. As some of you know, we have been spending uh, some many weeks on creation doctrine and studies. Do you know how many lessons we've had on creation? About seven now. Seven. Uh, That's good. That's about half, right? We've had 14, so it's close. So this is the 15th lesson in this series. And as some of you know, I've been wrestling with The um, the subject for many weeks, and today we will start to bring it home. Now we're going to have to save some time. We're going to have to do some stuff. So we're going to bring this home in the sense that we're going to talk about the cross and the resurrection in the context of creation. So we're going to lift lift our vision a little higher than typically is done on Easter just to see if we can take it all in and do it. Now, there's lots of references, scriptural references, scientific references, but mostly scripture references that we will be re- using that I've used for this lesson. I'm not going to read them all. I might re- I'm going to read one or two verses that are particularly important to my processing of all this data. You can get the references and the resources if you will email me at daniel.h.levite at gmail.com. I'm going to put that in the description of the iTunes podcast episode that I'm going to upload. So on iTunes, the podcast is called Wow. Apologetic Podcast. So it's W-O-W, Wonders of the Word, Apologetic Podcast. And so also I will put my email address in the description of this episode so that people can email me if they want all the scripture references, many dozens of scripture references, and and resources that I'm using for this lesson. So as we try to understand the meaning of the cross and the resurrection, we need to start where we started. We started with the purposes of God in creation. God, God decided that what he wanted to do was to bless a creature in a natural world with being God's imager in that creation. So he wanted to give this creature, we call this creature man, mankind, and he wanted to put in him the image of God. And so this creature would represent God in creation. And we get from script, different scriptures, what this creature was supposed to do. For instance, in Micah, he says that man is to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. Notice how God uses a three point sermon, right? So you're supposed to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly before God. Well, how can the image bearer of God do those things unless they know what justice is? unless they can understand what justice is, understand and receive and, uh, and uh, extend mercy, right? And know what the difference is between being humble and being proud, right? God also wanted this creature, mankind, to fear God and keep his commandments voluntarily. He wanted him to know, and ultimately, eternal life is defined as what? John seventeen three wants to know God and Jesus, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. So this relational position of, the, of mankind to God is full of expressing God's purposes in creation. So to do those things, God had some design goals. To do these things, mankind had to have free will. He must be able to choose between life and death. One of my favorite verses is in Deuteronomy 30, where Moses is telling the children of Israel, I put before you today life and death, and then he tells them to choose life, which is very interesting, because he must have thought they were idiots, right? <laughs> to, to say, okay, here's my, here's my vote, choose life. Oh, okay, thanks. That, that that chapter that, that passage always cracks me up. He God's design goals was that man would seek him, would seek him out, would want him in, in in their life. Mankind would want him in their life. You see, this in Acts 17, and they want they needed to be able to stand before God. If they're going to live eternally, they need to be stand before God without fault, but yet be able to make all these choices, and they need to love as God loves, the ultimate ethic. Now, this made complicated design considerations before God created the world. For instance, man must be able to be redeemed. So God wanted to create a, an entire na- natural realm that could be redeemed by, from their bad choices. So he wanted to give man the freedom to choose good or to choose death Choose life or choose death, but if they choose death, he wanted to be able to redeem them before it's too late. So all of creation had to have this element of design in it. So in order to be redeemed, though, mankind needed to be a single race. They're not all individually created beings. They all need to be related to each other so the Redeemer, so they could have a single Redeemer to represent the whole lot of them, okay? And all of them through time. So that way, Jesus could redeem them all as their representatives, not only just representing them, but also to be able to take on the human nature and to live out his life as a human being representing all of mankind both in the past and in the future. So these design goals had to be built in to the society. He wanted also to redeem billions upon billions upon billions of people. As we see in the Bible, countless billions of people ultimately had to be he had to make a creation available to be redeemed. So these are big design goals. So God's plan was to have two creations. We live uh, understanding God had a two-creation model. Remember, we talked about all this in the first two episodes of this series. We talked about it at Christmas when we talked about what did Jesus do to prepare to be born. Remember that? That was our Christmas message. That's when we started all this. And then the next week, we talked about the road to creation, what God considered all these things, and we went into them in some detail at the time. But this is just a review to remind you the buildup that God has in place in his plan. So God's plan was to have a two-creation model. The first creation, the one we live in, is designed to be redeemed, designed to allow mankind to choose life and also to limit and ultimately eliminate evil and suffering. So this creation was designed for that. It was good. It was good for that purpose. All right? The second creation is designed to be operate without limits of evil. And remember, we talked about the limits of evil. What evil does, we see that in the fall in Genesis 3. We see that the, the curse and the fall result in three major Uh, problems with evil. Evil wastes time. People have to waste an awful lot of time and resources to overcome the effects of evil. Increased pain. There's a lot more pain involved when people commit themselves to doing evil, and there's more work involved in dealing with evil. The second creation is going to be free of all that unnecessary issues because it's going to be free of evil. So our creation model, the one we know the most about because the Bible talks the most about it, and it's the one we can explore through our sciences, right? had to be designed to be redeemed. And so God did a huge amount of work uh, to set this up. And then a very short period of time where he, uh, he, will, um, he has been, preserving it, influencing people, discipling people, creating his church, doing all these things, and redeeming the world. Uh, This short period of time is when man can learn about God and learn about his creation. God wanted uh, to have a creation that man could explore and in 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 their exploring, could understand the things about God. So part of His plan was to create a universe that expands. We have eleven passages, five different authors throughout Scripture, that talks about God creating an expanding and stretching universe, so that so that mankind could explore it, so he could see what God has done, and then wonder, and learn from what God has done, as we see in Psalms 19 and many other passages. And he gave this universe uh, a set of unchanging laws. Paul said, uh, Jeremiah talks about this, and Paul talks about this. Uh, one of those laws is called the pervasive law of decay. That's what Paul calls it. And that law Help and those all those laws, but that one particularly helps us to see that the universe is preparing to be redeemed. It's preparing to keep mitigate and to eliminate evil. All right, and we saw that uh, as we studied this, we saw how the laws actually are constraining evil. And ultimately will eliminate evil in this creation so when we come to the cross this is the background that we consider when we're looking at what is the meaning of the cross (coughs) we see that as my personal as my representative Jesus's sacrifice on the cross takes away my personal sin. How many you ever heard that before? <laughs> probably this morning, right? Well, probably Friday. <laughs> All right? And pastors mostly focus on this message because for my salvation and for your salvation, it really is quite important. Okay? It's, for us personally, it's the most important thing to understand. Is that he, as my representative, died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin? But guess who else? What other meanings there is for the cross? As we took a look at in creation, we understand that God does things for multiple purposes, and at the same time, the what God does has multiple <laughs> meanings and. And maybe layered meanings, and then no different is the cross and the resurrection. So, got a question for you: What is a the meaning of the cross in addition to my personal salvation as focus there, taking away the penalty of my sins? What Other meanings does the cross have? Yes? It begins the destruction of evil. All right. It does. Very good. Anything else? Just wanted to see how much education we have about the cross. Yes? All right. All right. So Jesus did this not just for us individually, but for everyone. The whole world. All right? What else? And what other meanings does the cross have? Crucifixion was for the vilest of criminals. So was it for, but not for the good criminals, just for the vilest? Vile. <laughs> most vile. Most vile criminals? Most vile. But the good ones, they're okay? So just, yeah, just saying ah. that for even the worst of sinners or the most. Right. So people think like Paul did that he was the vilest of sinners, the most and and when people come are driven to that point in their lives where they've just messed it up and they've committed all kinds of wickedness. Individually, people get it in their heads that there can't be anybody worse than me, right? And so everyone who comes to that point usually comes to the point and says, I'm the worst of sinners. Like Paul did. Paul did it. Paul said that. And Jesus' crucifixion, suffering, and death. As you know, when we refer to the blood of Christ, we're not referring to the liquid that flows through his veins. We're talking about that's a that's a Figurative reference to his suffering and death. He didn't just die of old age; he died a cruel, suffering-filled execution. And so, when we talk about when the Bible talks about the blood of Christ, that's what it's referring to. Okay, this crucifixion was excruciating and and uh, powerful. But it wasn't just for the vilest of sinners. It was for the entire world, as we see in 1 John and 1 Corinthians, in John 3. Um, Jesus' re- redemption work on the cross had a scope and a time frame. Did you know that? The scope was worldwide propitiation. Anybody know what that word means? It's a it's a funny word that we don't use every day. It means his purpose wasn't just to take the penalty of sin for us on the cross, but it was intended to turn God's wrath, to remove God's wrath from uh, from the way God viewed the earth, viewed His creation, to to one of help, to one of compassion, from saying, okay, this is a sin-sick creation, I, this is I'm all messed up, they've messed it all up, to I've gotta help them, okay? And so Jesus' Jesus's crucifixion turned away God's wrath from the world, okay? and its time scope is eternal. Hebrews, and, Hebrews particularly points this out, that <coughs> Jesus' death on the cross is once forever. Because of his nature as the divine Son of God, his crucifixion was eternal and worldwide. <coughs> but here's something else that was involved here. Whenever, I've taught on this many times, but I don't remember that I've taught about it on Easter. And what they classically call it, um, one of the things that keeps most people away from Christianity today, now this wasn't the case centuries ago, but today it's one of the biggest excuses, and it's called the problem of evil. And suffering uh, how many of you have heard that okay now the reason that's a problem and, and those who who use it as an excuse do so because they see not only usually in their own lives they see a great deal of the effects of evil and suffering but they also see it all throughout the world terrible terrible events Terrible things that people do. And they go, why does God allow that to happen? And part of the reason is they haven't been to Sunday school. They don't know the answer to that. (laughs) But what they fail to ask themselves, what they fail to ask themselves is, why is that bad? If I look at suffering and evil, what is it in me that recognizes that as a thing that shouldn't happen? If I'm just part of a natural world, it's just stuff that happens. But deep inside of every human, they have this idea, and this is a C.S. Lewis thing. He says, what makes me think that that's a bad thing? Evil and suffering. Where do I get the idea that that shouldn't be occurring? And he came to the conclusion that it's the nature of God to see that as a bad thing. And he put into man, as part of his design in man, to reject evil and to reject suffering, even though the world is pervasive in suffering and evil. Well, who allowed all this to happen? I mean, the complaint is, God allows it all to happen. And God allows it, and they go, why? Why is God allowing all this to happen? Well, what they don't, if they'd been in this series, they'd learn that, e- and the pastor preaches all the time too, that evil and suffering is temporary. It's very temporal. So if evil and suffering is happening in your own life, you can take comfort in the living hope of Christ and realize that if evil and suffering is happening in your own life, then the story's not over. Evil and suffering goes away. We know it goes away. Scientifically these days, we talked about this in the class uh, when we talked about the the law of decay. We know it all goes away. It's all going to go away sooner or later. And because God's already put in process the the mechanism by by which it all ends. So evil and suffering will end. We can know that scientifically, philosophically, theologically, but that doesn't really help us. Uh, That helps us intellectually, but it doesn't help us emotionally when we suffer and when we experience evil in our lives. We can know that intellectually. We can know that as an element of hope, but there's still this responsibility for a world that is evil, that has chosen evil, And is allowed to continue in evil. Alright? So, the cross speaks to this. This very issue. Jesus, who made all this? God did. Who was the God who made it? John 3. Colossians 2. God the Word made all things, and nothing was made that was made without him. So the very one, interestingly, the very one who made a world designed to be redeemed, designed to allow people time to choose evil, and once choosing evil, time to be redeemed and receive forgiveness. With all of its effects and all of its outcomes, the very one who designed it all and brought it into existence is the very one who voluntarily gave himself to die for it. So, what they call this is vicarious substitution. Jesus, who was responsible for creating a universe, in which all of this happened is the very one who took the responsibility to pay the price for it. And that's a big part of what the cross means. Also, as was mentioned before, the there's a lot about the unseen world and how, how angels and how they play a role in the history of the world <coughs> in the Bible. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to have a class on angels. And we're going to take a look at their role in all this. But, as the devil was condemned by the cross, Jesus was not challenging directly the powers of the day and age in which he lived. He was challenging the powers of the devil. And by dying on the cross, and subsequently the resurrection, he was breaking the power and defeating the single biggest tool of the devil, which was death. Death, will, after Jesus' death and resurrection, had no longer the same power because now, as a result of Jesus' voluntarily allowing himself to be crucified, he now took power away from the devil. He broke it, the Bible says. It's talking about breaking the power of the devil. Because God, Jesus, went through and took over what the devil claimed as his own territory. And... We see that in many references throughout the New Testament. Then another thing that the cross meant in Hebrews was what? One more thing on my list of things that the cross meant. The cross meant, and this is a good thing to know as Christians, the Old Covenant has now passed away. It was passing away. The last elements of it passed away uh, in the first century. But the Old Covenant was now obsolete because Jesus died and was the testator of the New Testament, the New Covenant. God was making a new covenant <clears throat> by de- Jesus' death he was The old one passed away in Jeremiah, and the new one took effect in Hebrews. They talk about that. So this was a big part of the deal, was God's relationship to man was changing. But Jesus' words on the cross have always intrigued me. I was going to say bothered, but I really mean intrigued. <laughs> And the ones that intrigued me the most, and I've taught on the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross and, you know, those, those kind of things, but the one that has always given me pause and has made me think a lot is when he says in John 19:30 When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And all the sermons that I've ever heard about this explain that those words, it is finished, was an accounting term in Greek and that it means that it's paid in full. That's what it means. It means it's done, it's accomplished, it's paid in full. All the planning, all the purpose, all the goals and designs that God had for for his creative order, come down to this event. Jesus redeemed by paying the price for sin, turning God's wrath from his good creation, corrupted by the fall of man into sin. Jesus did it. And that redemption was finished on the cross. But something else bothers me about that. And that's generally where the sermons go. And they should. Don't get me wrong. They should go there. And that should be the main focus because it's the most important to us individually. But there's a bigger view to this phrase that Jesus uttered. Because, and I read in 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8, yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, I'm sorry, let me start over. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, put the word in there wrong, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory, You see, this was all part of the plan from before creation started. That's why it's really hard to get a big picture of the cross unless you look at God's purposes in creation. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All right. Now, when he says that, it bothers me. He says, if the rulers of this age had realized what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why wouldn't they? Why not? They would have understood who he was. Yes, they would have, they, if they understood and they knew who he was, he told them, yeah. <laughs> okay? <I can't> <laughs> but they, what were they thinking when they crucified, and this is this is very interesting. Paul's perspective here, because Jesus also said, "Forgive them, for they know not what they do." And Paul says, "Hey, they didn't know what they were doing. And if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't have crucified him. Why not?" They thought, um, like the thing across the top of the um, cross says, they wanted it to say, "He says he's the King of the Jews." So they did not recognize him as the king of the Jews. Had they recognized him as the king of the Jews and treated him as such, then he would not have been crucified. He wouldn't have been crucified. He was no threat. Right. He wouldn't have been a threat then. If they knew who he was and his kingdom wasn't the kingdom they are going to take over for them, they would have understood there wasn't any threat from him. They were killing him because they thought he was a threat to them. (coughs) All right. So he was a threat to them, and they killed killed him, right? They had him killed by the Romans, and the Romans were part of that too. So when he uses the word rulers of this age, he's talking about all the powers that will pass away, the earthly powers that killed Jesus, including the Jewish leadership, the Roman leadership, everybody involved, okay? So that's why he uses that broad term, right? So if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't have killed the Lord of glory. If they really believed he was the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have killed him. Although in killing him, they fin- finished the plan of redemption. So by killing him, they actually played into his hands. So if they hadn't have killed him, what would happen then? We... I, mean, I, a I guess Jesus would have. Had if they, Jesus, if they'd have gone, hey, okay, let's let's leave him alone. You know, Pilate wanted him to leave him alone at first, right? Well, let's leave him alone, and he goes off and preaches and dies of old age. How's that work? That don't that doesn't have the same zing to it, does it? They would have had. Um, it's hard to imagine them not doing that, right? But Paul considered it in Second in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 2. But what we know is what else was finished. Um, what was finished? Because we just talked about it. What if the rulers of the age hadn't killed him? If they had known he was the Lord of glory, they may not have killed him. But they did kill him. And in so doing, all of God's plans come down to the cross. And we'll talk about the resurrection's role in this too. That's supposed to be an empty tomb. (laughs) I don't have a, a cross is easy, right? Empty tomb's not as easy. All right, but all of God's plan came down to this. And as Paul points out or or implies in 1 Corinthians 2, what was finished besides our redemption is own, that any role for a created being? Any role for a created being in redemption is also finished. Nobody. <laughs> but it's my brother wishing me a happy Easter in the middle of a lesson. Okay. I I turned my volume down on my phone, but I didn't turn off the notifications. I hate it because those two things are unrelated. So any role for a created creature in God's plan of redemption is now finished. Paul points out that man had a role. They crucified the Lord of glory. The devil had a role. What was his role? So created creatures, both spiritual and and natural, had roles. What was the role of the devil? To make evil. Well, in the cross. get That's right. He entered Judas, the Bible says. He entered Judas, that's in Luke, and prompted him to do the betrayal. And then mankind, the rulers of the age, crucified him. Guess what? In, re- in reflecting on these verses, it is finished, and if they'd known he was the Lord of glory, they never would have crucified him. It dawns on me that for the rest of eternity, mankind and the angels, neither one, have any more role to play. They cannot. They will never be able to stop God's plan. They will never be able to slow it down. They will never be able to change it. And they'll never be able to thwart it. We just talked about what would have happened if the rulers of the age had decided not to kill him. Right. And we and Paul contemplates that. But what role could man play now, after the cross? Not a single thing can man do to change God's plans, or and and we would say they wouldn't have changed God's plans even if they hadn't crucified him, right? Because something would have happened. But they had a role. They have no role now. When when Jesus died on that cross, he finished man and angel's role to play in all of God's plans. All of it. And now, and now, after the cross, God shows up. He says, let me show you what I do when I take full control and you have nothing to say about it. Mankind can, the train is leaving the, tra- the station. Man can get on it or stay off, but they can't stop it. They can't slow it down and they can't thwart it or change it. We will stand before God with two options. Only two options. You will stand there and be judged by your own righteousness or you'll stand there and be judged by the righteousness of Jesus' suffering and death for your sin. So you'll stand there in the light of your own righteousness or you'll stand there in the light of the righteousness of Christ. You don't have a third option. There's no way mankind can change the outcome. Now, the outcome uh is 2,000 years old, right? But think about it from the devil's point of view. He prompted Judas to crucify Jesus, playing into his hands. He has no other opportunity to make any influence on the outcome of his judgment either. And we know that there's a lot he's going to pay for. But God is giving us time to reach other people so that they can can avail themselves of the forgiveness of Jesus and build those billions of redeemed people that will then experience what is next, the resurrection. So Jesus, uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way, the resurrection, if Jesus of Nazareth had stayed dead, then nobody would have given a second thought to giving his crucifixion any significance. But because Jesus didn't stay dead, and he, who rose, Je- who raised Jesus from the dead? Jesus. Jesus did, that's right, John 2, he did. Who else did it? God, right? Jesus is God, and he raised himself from the dead. He said, I have authority to lay my life down, and I have authority to take it up again. His power became manifest in the resurrection. The cross had meaning. The resurrection displayed his power. Yes? I have a question, though. With Jesus being recognizable, why did Judas have to kiss him? Why wouldn't the people have already known who he was? uh some of them would have of course his disciples who were standing there did right and but it's possible that they sent guards who had never seen him you know uh he he had made a big splash and he was had been in jerusalem and came in on the donkey and all that stuff the last week but that doesn't mean the guards that were there had ever seen him and it was at night right and all they had, all they had was tiki torches. No TV. <laughs> yeah, no tiki, no flashlights, right? And all they had was tiki torches. So you had to get kind of close to him uh, to r- recognize him because of the light. We're not used to that, you know. Our lights have LED lights hanging from the stuff, you know. But uh, all they had were these tiki torches. <laughs> so there, you know, those kind of things played into the role there. So. The resurrection, while we put a lot of emphasis on the cross today, the resurrection is the most important event in history. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that what also I received, that Christ died for our sins, and according with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and according to the scriptures. There is no more important event in history than the resurrection. But you don't have a resurrection unless you have a crucifixion. So, uh, if the resurrection, if there's no resurrection, there's no power over sin. And all of God's planning and our faith is futile. This is the only worldview that is falsifiable, testable. It's the only one. Christians can say with Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17-19, we can say with Paul, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. How do you prove Christianity untrue? Produce the body of Jesus, the physical body of Jesus, and Christianity and our view of God is untrue. It's an amazing thing to have a faith built on evidence of a historical event. We have the New Testament because we have a resurrection. We don't have a resurrection because we have a New Testament. These guys were influenced and powerfully motivated and changed because they saw him get out of that grave. As a matter of fact, many verses in the book of John, many places it says, we didn't get this until he rose from the dead. We didn't understand this until he rose from the dead. It's his rising from the dead that gives us Christianity. It's the historical reality of it. It's an amazing thing that God's all this... All this planning and purpose that we've talked about for weeks culminated in an actual physical body whose death and resurrection from death has spiritual implications. God fused the past with the present and the future on the cross and the resurrection so that, our, that we can connect all the dots that God has presented to us, and have a single story. Even the truth of the resurrection is identified in historical evidence. We've, t- we've had whole lessons on this, where the categories of lessons, we use the word feet to demonstrate the fact of the resurrection. This is from um, Hank Canograph's ministry. He put this together, the feat that demonstrates the fact of the resurrection. Fatal torment, which we talked about the cross. The tomb was found empty. The appearances after his burial and death. And the transformed lives of his followers. These are historical realities that demonstrate the truth that Jesus, after his death, got up out of that grave under his own power and rose and ascended to the Father, to sit on the right hand of power. He was vindicated for all the things he did and all the claims he made by the fact that he rose out of that grave. No other worldview has the evidence or has the story or can connect it all to creation except Christianity. The scope and meaning of the cross and the resurrection is that God is bringing, he executing his plan one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. And just like, just like a, it, it reminds me of a slow train wreck, okay? You can't take your eyes off of it, and you can't avoid it. It's going to happen, right? It's like jumping off the building. Gravity is going to get a hold of you. And it's like falling slowly, but it's going to happen. You're going to hit the ground. Jesus' Jesus's plan for redemption is taking off, and it's working, and we can see it, see it in, our crea- in God's creation. We can look out there and see what he's doing and how he's done. All right, what began with the resurrection? What began with the resurrection well, we know in Philippians that we serve a living Jesus, not a dead idea. We're serving a living Jesus. We can be justified before God because of Jesus' resurrection. We're justified. Our justification happens, began then. Our resurrection is secured by his. In John 6, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Corinthians 4, we see that our resurrection, our hope, our living hope in Jesus secures our resurrection so that we'll have a body like his. Because we know he had a body like ours. Actually, we've always had a body like his. Our natural bodies were designed for him, and our supernatural bodies were designed by him and for us. And he has that too. Jesus will judge and rule God's kingdom with certainty. One of the things N.T. Wright points out is that this manifestation of God's kingdom was brought into power and into focus by the cross and by the resurrection. Jesus, because he voluntarily did this, now has been given all authority in heaven and earth. The devil's power is broken. He has been judged And the new creation starts in this creation. Remember I said God has a two-creation model. And God isn't waiting for the new creation to be manifest. He started it in the body of Christ. And 1 Peter 1 puts it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And 2 Corinthians 5, Paul puts it like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus said to his disciples before his ascension. Now, uh, we like to quote this here as the Great Commission. But the first part of that Great Commission, and that's where he says go into all the world and make disciples, right? But the predicate of why he says that is because he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The devil's the ruler of ungodly people in this world, but Jesus is the authority. He's the one, because of his death and resurrection, now has claimed and God has recognized his authority over all of this. evil and suffering are real but so are Jesus so is Jesus's authority over it and as time goes on and God finally says it's time to go get your bride it will all come to an end. it will never and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. we can get on board or we can stay lost, but there's nothing mankind can do now that God has put this all in place through Jesus. Amen. All right, right. let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time, for this Easter time, where we can focus on the events of the cross and the resurrection. But, Lord, we know that your plan of salvation your plan of redemption is infused in everything we see around us. We know as we've studied this lesson, that, uh, this series, that all of it had elements of design that helped to motivate, helped to further the redemption plan. Help, give us eyes to see your glory all around us in your redemption. And help us, Lord, to may avail ourselves of your salvation, so great a salvation that you've given us, that we can every day rejoice and go out and give them heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Next week, we're going to see the effects of this. We're not quite over with the series. Next week, it's going to be the new creation and what we can know about that. All right? Thanks for coming. Remember, it's online in the podcast. Uh, if you've missed some of these series, but uh, or if you can't be here, we'll be able to do that next. You'll be able to do it online. Wow, apologetic, wow, apologetic podcast.